the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome to Healing Habits with Dr. John Duong of the Holistic Health Center. Our topic today addresses a largely preventative disease that currently affects more than 30 million Americans. In fact, some 10% of the U.S. population. As recent as in 2017, Americans spent, get this, $245 billion addressing it. It's diabetes. Now, the side effects of diabetes can run the gamut. This disease includes numbness, swelling, loss of circulation, leg discomfort, cramping, all under the larger banner of peripheral neuropathy. Joining me today in studio, Dr. John Duong, to talk about this. And Dr. Duong, adult-onset diabetes, as we know, represents some 90% of all diagnosed cases, much of it both preventable and treatable. But it sounds to me as if we're almost at epidemic proportions with such a growing percentage of the American population suffering from diabetes and its side effects. Yes. Usually peripheral neuropathies are more like for like seniors, like especially the baby boomers. If you're around the baby boomers, most of the, the baby boomers do have some of those peripheral neuropathy symptoms. Now, sometimes we think, well, gee, I've just got a little leg cramping that's normal or maybe a little tingling in my feet. It's due to growing older, poor blood circulation, things of this sort. But give us a sense. When we talk about peripheral neuropathy, what are some of the warning signs or the symptoms of it? Some of the symptoms are like numbness, burning feet pain, cramping, electrical pain, painful when you're walking, leg discomfort, usually at night too, tingling, numbness, loss of balance is very important, and also weakness and feet swelling. So if you're seeing large uh, ankles, for example, or, or maybe in bed you get, sometimes people will refer to it as restless leg syndrome. Yes. Some of these are actually symptoms of the underlying cause of diabetes. Diabetes or peripheral neuropathy. Let's talk a bit about uh, some of the causes. You mentioned diabetes, but what else can be contributory toward a diagnosis of peripheral neuropathy? Yeah, the most common one is diabetic neuropathy. It's very well known. And also immune or autoimmune conditions, low back pain, like people have stenosis that's pressed on their nerve that can affect the neuropathy, injury to the nerve itself on the, on the leg, alcohol abuse, and then also chemotherapy are some of the causes for peripheral neuropathy. Can there be misdiagnoses? For example, you mentioned about the connection with the numbness. I'm wondering if maybe sometimes that is misdiagnosed as um, just arthritis and a doctor's kind of dismissive and saying, well, at your age, arthritis is normal, when in fact the autoimmune, and there is a dynamic of arthritis that is very much autoimmune related, isn't there? Yes. Is, is the body, that there, if there's, what's the cause of autoimmunity is inflammation. Inflammation is actually what's causing the nerve to be damaged. That's the definition of peripheral neuropathy is damage of the nerve. So inflammation causing autoimmunity is the damage of the nerve. So what we have to do, we have to address the inflammation. And we have to ask the question, why is the body 
causing disinformations within our system. So that's my work. One thing I think that's troubling to a lot of people that are dealing with many of the symptoms that you've addressed, and that is this notion that if we understand what it is, if we have an understanding insofar as what is contributory toward it, why is it that so many people still suffer from neuropathy or, even worse for seniors, the loss of balance? Yes, for seniors or baby boomers, the loss of balance is major because, number one, cause of death for seniors is what? Falling. Why did they fall? Because of the nerve. The nerve is being damaged. So we need to find out and really seriously fixing the root cause of the problem. And unfortunately, if they get their doctors to examine their pain, usually they come in with what? Oh, I have this tingling numbness, burning sensation, my feet is swelling. And the doctors will address what their discomfort and give them them some anti-seizure medications to mask the problem, not fixing the root cause of the problem. For example, I always give this diabetic neuropathy. What are the causes of their neuropathy is the diabetic. So what do we have to do? Do we just treating the nerve, or we have to do both, treating the blood sugar level and also taking care of the nerve? If we want to heal the body, as it's a unit, we have to do both in order for us to get the results. Unfortunately, most of the patients are only receiving partial of their treatments, They're like masking the pain. That's why patients are not getting better. Some of the patients come into me saying that their doctors actually said this, this to, to them, is that once you have neuropathy, you're not supposed to get better. You have to live with it. Take mm-hmm. this medication and mask the pain, and you have to live with it. And in reality... The body can heal itself from within. When you fix the body, the body can repair it. My approach is fixing chronic pain is fixing the body from within. So it sounds like the real utter irony here is that if it's not at the onset misdiagnosed, it's typically mistreated. So a patient comes in, they're having certain complaints, they take a look at the blood sugar levels and say, oh, we're diagnosing you as being type 2 diabetic. Here's a prescription for metformin, or here's some pain pills. And what we're really not doing is we're not treating the underlying cause, or as you just suggested, we're sending patients home with a sense that it's absolutely hopeless. Get used to it. You're always going to feel numbness. You're always going to be in pain because that's just what happens. Yes, that's the reality. But we can always do better when we're using a different approach. Let's talk about that different approach. What do you do differently than the typical physician that just goes in and says, here's a script, go take some pills? The first question I always ask the patient is that, do we have a healthcare care system or a sick care system? So we understand that the sick care system is good for acute emergency. It really saves life because the model that we're using what we so-called like healthcare system is the model for acute emergency crisis care. It really works and we really save lives. However, how do you fix the chronic conditions? We cannot use the acute model to fix the chronic conditions. How can we fix the chronic condition? We have to fix the body so the body can heal from within. I keep saying that, but that's the thing, that's the mindset that we have to change in order for us to be better and fix our health conditions is to deal with the body so the body can function better and heals from within. So it's really a holistic approach then where you're taking a look at lifestyle, uh, diet, exercise, all of this? Yes. You have to take a look at the complete pictures. 
and I make it very easy. If you look in uh, into my website, I keep saying that I am Thomas Edison's doctors. Thomas Edison said that the doctors of the future will give no medicines, but instruct his patient in the care of the human frame, human frame, okay, and in diet, and the education of the cause and prevention of disease. And I am that type of doctors to help the patients to heal. So I use that as a model, and that's the model that I use to help the patient to understand and how they can heal from within. So fix the structures, the human frame, and diet. Not only the diet that we are dealing with, but also now we have scientific information, scientific testing, the genetic testing, would able to identify your DNA, your weakness from within. So now we are able to give your body the right supplement at the right time for the right conditions so the body can heal. So, for example, if your weakness is in the inflammation, your genetic DNA will are able to identify your body has a weakness in controlling inflammation. So what can we do? Now we can give the body the right nutrients, the right supplement, help the body to reduce inflammation. As a result, when you are able to reducing the inflammation, your body has a better chance to heal. That's the approach that we have to do. We have to understand the weakness of the body and supporting the body with the right diet, which is the right supplement, to heal from within. We have the technology. This, this is wonderful. To better understand the exact way in which this new approach really makes a difference, let's give a listen to a testimony of one of your patients. Hi, I've been coming to see Dr. Dong for a month now, and I have uh, bad diabetes that I have to take insulin, long-acting and short-acting. It's like five times a day. And also I have a bad neuropathy. Since I've been coming here, I feel a lot better. The tingling of my foot are all gone. And my um, sugar level had gone down from 13 to 18. And now I'm just taking from 8 to 10. And all, but the uh, long-acting still remains the same. But I have been getting hypoglycemia. So I need to call my doctor to adjust my insulin. So... I think I'm on the right path right now. It's really going down. Now, Dr. Duong, we just heard from one of your patients. Clearly, she has been frustrated having seen doctors for treatment for diabetes, neuropathy, and that the irony was that over a course of time, there was no improvement whatsoever. Finally, she came and she saw you. Yes. Uh, what we have to do is we have to help these patients with the diabetics, lowering down their blood sugar naturally, um, and then also addressing uh, her nerve discomfort. In this case, we have to do both. That's how we get the results for the patients. And are these results, as we heard in that testimony a moment ago, typical for most of your patients? This is very typical because I love to do what I do because I get the patients better. I enjoy every moment of it, like every day. I just love to go into my clinic and see patients that's smiling, and then they always say, hey, I'm getting better as a result of the treatments. So I, I wrote it out, and um, this is one of my uh, missions is, if you have any health condition, any physical pain, we believe the solution is inside your body. Together, we create a healing habits so that your body, your mind, and your soul can heal from within. What's the purpose? As a result, we live 
a better quality life. That's what we are put in earth for. Live a better quality life. If you've been suffering from diabetes and the side effects, including peripheral neuropathy, and you've simply been told by your physician, accept it, you've got no choice. Maybe it's time to take a different approach. Right now, Dr. Duong is offering a very special opportunity for the first eight callers who qualify to receive a consultation for just $47. Now, this is normally a $287 value, but for the first eight callers who qualify, this special consultation is just $47. To find out more, call 510-818-1668. That's 510-818-1668, or simply go to Dr. Duong Live. That's D-R-D-U-O-N-G live.com. DrDuongLive.com or call 510-818-1668. And doctor, we mentioned about these first eight callers who will receive this uh, discounted consultation, normally again a $287 value for just $47. In that consultation, tell us briefly what happens. First, you fill out a detailed questionnaire. I ask questions so I can understand the patient's need. What are their symptoms? What are they? What's the main thing that is bothering them? And then in, in their history, then during the consultations, I will address those symptoms. What is the underlying reasoning for these symptoms? We want to dissect the, the symptoms and find out where is the problem coming from. And then if you have a blood work, bring your blood work um, with you. Um, so this way that we were able to identify where it, um, where is the problem coming from, and then I might uh, suggest you to do some tests or not. So it's based on um, our conversation, based on our consultation, we will see how we can move this forward. And then from there you come up with a treatment strategy to help the patient begin to get on the road to healing. Yes. It's always the body. I'm not here to treat any conditions. I'm here to help to supporting the body so the body can heal from within. For more information about this special opportunity, again, for the first eight callers who qualify, normally a $287 consultation value, just $47. Call now, 510-818-1668. That's 510-818-1668. Or go online to drduonglive.com. That's drduonglive.com. This has been another edition of Healing Habits with Dr. John Duong. More information on the web at drduonglive.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation here. Uh, this was sort of um, something that caught some attention in the headline news, but unless you're one of the people that are involved in the so-called gig economy, and maybe you are, growing numbers of Californians to make ends meet certainly are. It also seems to be kind of the the changing face of the way in which we do business. Well, um, if you're not in that category, you might have missed the story, but the story is a big one, and it has implications for employment, employers, employees, across the entire country. What are we talking about? Well, Assembly Bill 5, a landmark bill that um, is essentially going to really cause employers to reevaluate how they classify employees. Part of the argument has been that, well, sometimes companies will um, misclassify someone in order to 
not pay benefits. Let's find out the implications, both good and bad, from this measure. As uh, Ethan Slotkin joins us, gig economy expert and shadow CEO. And um, Ethan, tell us a bit about um, what precipitated passage of this bill by the legislature and how far-reaching could it be, not only for folks involved in the gig economy and employers here in the state, but across the nation. Yeah, so, you know, California has always been uh, a bit more of an employee-friendly state, you know, versus some other states that are out there, and has taken, uh, you know, the forefront as it relates to many measures. But in this case, with such a large swelling of, uh, you know, of people moving to the gig economy uh, as freelancers and contractors or or otherwise, uh, it just pushed up the momentum and, and, and the need for something like this. Uh, you know, the challenge, of course, that exists with something like this is, uh, needless to say, you know, treating employees and people working for, for your team uh, right is, is extremely important. Um, but the companies obviously have to make a profit and survive as well. Um, so the challenge that kind of, uh, you know, comes up as a result of this uh, is where does it come from, right? If it doesn't come from, you know, the employees, it has to come from the company or it has to come from the customer. And you know, historically, of course, this has been kind of the um, kind of the gap fill type employment, both for employees and employers. For employees that are looking to uh, sort of you know maybe tighten uh, the budget a little bit or uh, complete the circle, they um, are earning money perhaps at a full time job, but just not enough. This gives them a little bit more financial freedom with not a lot of encumbrances. Uh, The gig economy has been uh, quite successful, particularly from the standpoint of uh, folks that either want to just work part-time or for companies that don't need a full-time, long-term committed employee, but want to do it kind of on a per-project basis. So it seems as if this has been a relationship between employer and employee that generally has been working. Why do you think it is that the legislature thought, no, we need to revisit this? I think it's just a, a product of, you know, really two things. One, it's the amount of people who have shifted into this freelance and gig economy uh, as, as employees and workers. And two, you know, kind of like you're, you're mentioning, the origins of it, you know, started as a bit of a side hustle, right, where people would maybe have another job and pick up an extra 10, 15, 20 hours a week. Uh, but that's not exactly the case anymore. There are many people um, you know, who are spending 30, 40 plus hours a week on freelance work or gig work in this case. Um, you know, on the other side of the equation, companies, when they're, when they're constructing their initial strategy before they even start, <clears throat> they're, they're calculating exactly what their costs are going to be. So they're projecting out, you know, these are the kind of expenses and benefits we're going to have to account for. Uh, so it's a bit of a challenge for them because they probably planned in a certain way. It's just bubbled up to this point right now where there's such a large critical mass who are part of this freelance economy and gig economy and who are working uh, you know many hours um, that this, you know the state's responsibility is to look out for the best interest of of its citizens and, and that's where this is kind of coming in uh, how do you think um, this is going to be met by the corporations i mean uh, it, it's got pretty big implications we know that certainly some companies already are kind of uh, you know rearing their uh 
<laughs> their hackles here, Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, all saying, hey, uh, we need to fight this. This could end up costing us a lot of money. There's always that argument that, well, uh, even as they, for example, talk about additional benefits or higher benefits, whether it's um, insurance, things of this sort, or simply raising the minimum wage, oftentimes we hear employers say this is going to force us to fire a bunch of people and have a dilatorious impact ultimately on the economy. What do you say to that argument? Yeah, and I think it's you know it's an interesting one because in in many cases I'm not sure that all of the gig economy workers necessarily uh, fully understand the implications of what could be happening here. Uh, you know, like you said, it was a harmonious relationship in its origins where you know these these uh, you know these gig economy workers were able to work on their own schedules, earn extra money, etc. By doing something like this, it's going to apply pressure, like you're saying, to the businesses where they're going to have to cut somewhere else. Uh, what it's also going to do is there's only a certain number of hours to be, you know, th- that people can actually work on these projects, <clears throat> which means if, they ha- if the companies have to pay for benefits, it's going to consolidate uh, the number of people who can actually be working there, which means that people are going to be let go as let go in quotes as, as gig economy workers as well. So, you know, the only nuance I'd, I'd say on top of that is the company could conceivably take the burden on and then pass it across to the customers. So in the case of Uber, that could result in higher prices for rides, but something has to give somewhere. Indeed so. And, of course, uh, you know, this is going to be a, a, it's a battle that was a long time coming. And I suspect even with uh, this legislation here in California, uh, we're just beginning to hear um, the implications of this particular landmark bill, not only in the state, but certainly across the nation. Ethan Slotkin, gig economy expert, shadow CEO, information available at his website, Ethan Slotkin, S-L-O-T-K. L-I-N, I'm sorry, I put an L in there that didn't belong. That's what happens when you're reading through your glasses improperly. S-L-O-T-K-I-N, AthanSlotkin.com. Ethan, thanks so much for the time. 6.30 here at uh, KFAX. Let's get you updated on some traffic, shall we? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All of us from time to time have struggled with within our Christian walk, and that is hearing the voice of God. Um, We are told in John 10 and 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And for all of us that say, gee, I, I just wish I could hear God's voice more distinctly in life. It would be great if there was the loud, thundering, booming voice out of heaven that shakes you to your innermost being. And yet more often than not, when God speaks, he speaks with that still, small voice. Why is that exactly? Well, our next guest has written a book on the very topic called Hearing God in Conversation, How to Recognize His Voice Everywhere, newly published by Kriegel Publications. And its author, our guest today, he is the founding director of Kids of the Heart, author of a number of other best-selling books, including Is Sunday School Destroying Our Kids? Samuel Williamson. Great to have you on the program. 
Hi, Craig. Thanks very much for, welcome, for welcoming me. I really appreciate it. It would honored. be great if God spoke in this loud, thundering, booming voice that we could know instantly, aha, there is the voice of God instructing me and making the right choices and decisions along life's highway. But in fact, God chooses other methodology. We know certainly that he can speak to us through his word. He can speak to us through others. But that sense of hearing that still, small voice directly inform ourselves, that seems to be elusive for a lot of Christians. Why is that? I think it is elusive, and I think part of the reason, Craig, is because people have this expectation that God only speaks to, you know, the high and mighty, the saints, you know, you know uh, St. Francis of Assisi, or Billy Graham, or Mother Teresa. And I think it's a false expectation, because I think Scripture's very clear when you look at all the heroes of the faith, and, and, their, and their foibles, I I think it's very clear that God speaks to us because of his greatness and not because of our greatness. And and we can have a confidence because his greatness is so great and our greatness is so small. But he he speaks to us because of his greatness. All right. So toward that end, then, um, part of it then has to do with our sense of, of, of perspective on our relationship. If God is speaking to us in and out of his greatness, uh, that would also require me to understand the nature of or the balance of the relationship that I have with God, would it not? It absolutely does. And, you know, the Scripture is filled with metaphors that God himself uses to teach us about our relationship with him. And he says that we are the sheep, here's the shepherd. He says that we are the servants, he is the master. We're the subjects, he is the king. But it also says we are the children, he is the father. You know, it breathtakingly intimately, he says we are the spouse and he is the bridegroom. But every one of these metaphors is a human relationship. And, you know, Craig, the essence of relationship, if you think of your, uh, of your family, of your spouse, of your friends, the essence of relationship is communication. And it's two-way communication. And... I think when we read Scripture, Scripture overflows with the idea of God wanting to speak to us, wanting us to recognize His voice. It, it's the essence of Christianity, a relationship with God. And I think God promises and mm, invites us to have a, a, a communicative, a, a, a conversational relationship with Him. All right, now let's talk about that because that suggests, as you talk about relationship, and anybody I think with, with half a mind understands that in order for there to be any success in a relationship, there needs to be that sense of give and take. And that's true of marriage relationships. It's true if you want to get along with, uh, with your siblings or get along with your, uh, your offspring. Uh, but with that said, it, 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 it's kind of a curiosity in that uh, so often when we, we think about conversation with God, what we really think about or engage in is monologue. And yet what God wants is dialogues. It's not just a matter of of God hearing from us and usually our laundry list of all the things that we want or our complaints, but then hearing back from God in return. And I think a lot of people find getting into that place where we have a sense that it's not a monologue, but rather a dialogue with God. That seems to be elusive because it requires upon us as well to be listening as well as talking. Absolutely, Craig. Absolutely. And I would say that the few times that we especially want to hear him is the big times of decisions in our life. Like, you know, should I become a doctor or a lawyer or a business person? Should I become a radio host? You know, or should I marry this person or that person? I think that we're, we typically mostly hope for God for the major decisions of our life. But 
Craig, I don't know about anything about your relationship with your father or your parents, but, but let me ask you a question of your fondest memory of your parents. Uh, you know, if you can think back over your whole life, was it times that they lectured to you or was it times when they just talked to you? Oh, I think it's very clear. I mean, all of us remembering our, our childhood years recall a lot of lectures. Uh, and yet, as, as profound as those moments <laughs> might have been, uh, my, my dad, who, uh, who went to be with the Lord, I still, at 8 o'clock on Sunday evenings, pause, and there's that sense of, of uh, that gap. Because yeah, yeah. while we talked throughout the week at various times, uh, 8 o'clock Sunday evening seemed to be the time when the week was over with, the weekend was over with, and we had a chance to get on the phone for a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever it took, and just dialogue, just converse back and forth, and he'd tell his stories, and I would tell mine, and, and I, I cherish those moments probably more so than the lectures. <laughs> of course, absolutely, and mine's the same way. My dad and I, you know, high school might have been a little tougher, but I mean, I, for, for, for 30 years, my dad and I had a wonderful conversational relationship, and, and that's what I remember, and even with my wife, you know, my wife and I, we, we went on our 30th anniversary to Italy a few years ago. But really, the, the heart and soul of our relationship is when we just sit after dinner and have a cup of coffee and talk together. And it's not even, you know, earth-shattering discussions. It's just normal discussions. And I believe this is what God wants for his people. In fact, how are we going to recognize God's voice in, in, in the storm of a terrible decision if we haven't learned to recognize his voice in the calm wind of a, you know, a, an evening breeze? Mm. We, we really need to recognize God's voice in a conversation if we're going to learn to recognize his voice in those very desperate times when we have to make a hard decision. There is a reason why, and, and God certainly in his infinite power could choose to use the loud, thundering voice from the heavens as we all uh, sort of think of, you know, via our experience in the movies. And yet God, I think, purposefully has chosen to instead speak through, as we see articulated in Scripture, through the still, small voice. And I'm going to ask you why you think that is and what we can learn from that when we come back to more of our conversation. Samuel Williamson with us today, the book Hearing God in Conversation, How to Recognize His Voice Everywhere. The new book, by the way, newly published by Kriegel Publications. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as you can order directly through Samuel's website at beliefsoftheheart.com. A brief time out. Back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We are back to our conversation and Samuel Williamson, our guest today, his new book, Hearing God in Conversation, How to Recognize His Voice Everywhere. Now, Samuel, God being God, he can choose to communicate by any means he desires. We'll recall a time when he chose to communicate through a burning bush as uh, Moses had the experience. Uh, we, We know that he could open up the heavens with a thunderous voice, but instead, for the most part, for most believers, um, rather than the loud thundering voice that we would know as it shook us to our very core that it was clearly the voice of God, instead God chooses to speak in that 
that still small voice, as Scripture tells us. Why is that? Is that is that it's got to be God is a very purposeful God. There's got to be a reason behind that. I, I think there's two reasons, Craig, and I think the first is we're, we're all familiar with the passage in First Kings. I think it's 19, but it might be 20, where God speaks to Elijah out of a still small voice. But the background of that is Elijah has just been involved in one of the greatest miracles God does in the Old Testament. You know. There's this big contest between the prophets of Baal and the prophet of God, Elijah. And Elijah builds this, you know, he puts, he puts together an altar, and he puts together the wood on it, he puts a sacrifice on it, and God sends a fiery bolt down from heaven, burns up the sacrifice and the wood and the water and the stones and even the earth, and nobody changes. I mean, Elijah is expecting the people to rise up against Ahab and Jezebel. You know, if not rise up, at least he's expecting some, some protesters out front saying, we want the Lord, you know, we want the Lord. But nothing happens. And, and Elijah becomes terribly depressed, and he goes down to Mount Sinai. And that's where, it's very interesting, God says an earthquake came by, but there was no, but God was not in the earthquake. A whirlwind came by, and God was not in the earthquake, in the whirlwind. And a fire came by, and God was not in the fire. And the thing that's so funny is that when God spoke to Moses, he spoke out of the fiery bush. So we spoke out of fire. When God spoke on Mount Sinai to the people of Israel, he spoke out of an earthquake. And when God spoke to Job, he did speak out of a whirlwind. So it's not that God doesn't speak in those things. But I think the deliberate contrast with this huge, spectacular miracle and not changing people's hearts is part of God's point when he finally says, and then God spoke in a still small voice. I don't think the spectacular changes us, Craig. I mean, I wish I could say if I had something spectacular would change me, but I really think it's the still, small, quiet, conversational voice of God every day that changes my heart. And, and I would think the big miracles do, but you know, Jesus did all kinds of miracles and the Pharisees didn't change their minds. And, and so I, I really do think God is saying there, there's a part of us humans, maybe us humans in the Western world especially, there's a part of us that wants the spectacular and the miraculous. And I believe in the spectacular and miraculous. Please don't misunderstand me. But I think the thing that changes my heart is when I sit in my chair and I hear God say, you know, Sam, I think you were ignoring your wife. I think you should go repent to her. And it's a quiet, calm voice that has a steady assurance in his voice. And so I think God really, I think God has an, has an invitation. So my first reason that God speaks out of the still small voice instead of the spectacular is I think that's the way humans work. I would say the second reason is I think God likes us to seek him. And sometimes when we speak, seek the spectacular, we're, we're hoping for an emotional experience more than just to be touched by the hand and the heart and the tongue of God. So he wants us to seek him. I'm sorry for that long answer, Greg. I really appreciate your kindness. No, it's an appropriate answer, and I think it also puts things in perspective, and that is to recognize, too, that we serve a holy and righteous God. Amen. Um, <laughs> Amen. That, I'm really serious. That, that, that sense of, and I think we've, we've, we've lost this, in in the modern day world, that that sense of, uh, for example, what it meant to be a priest to enter into the holy of holies, right, right, and that tremendous sense of of respect 
and reverence to realize that the priest was entering into the very presence of God. Uh, people forget that so much so, um, and, and Catholics listening will appreciate this, um, a bell is rung uh, during the consecration of the host uh, during Mass. And um, a bell was also um, uh, part of uh, what happened during the, the sacrifice that would take place inside of the Holy of Holies. And a rope was tied around the ankle of the priest. Absolutely. Should, should the pe- priest be found with sin and God strike him dead as being unfit to be in his presence and to offer the sacrifice on behalf of the people of Israel so that they could literally pull the priest out. Because if they went in there, they would be struck. Exactly right. So I think we've <laughs> lost that sense of, of, of awe in the presence of God and in realizing that God doesn't have to raise his voice to us. He is God. Well, and you know, the one time that God did handwriting on the wall, you know, we all talk about it, just about handwriting on the wall. The one time God wrote on the wall, the message basically was, King Belshazzar, you're going to die tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I think I can live without handwriting on the wall tonight. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you're right. And the other notion here too, and I learned this years ago in in debate. Um, we have a tendency, human beings. Uh, we saw this uh, just last night. You'll probably see it again on Sunday during the debates as we're trying to, out of frustration, get our point across. We tend to think if we late raise our voices, you'll hear us. Yeah, right. And yet, exactly. I learned many, many years ago that if you really want to get the most important point across, don't raise your voice. Instead, lower your voice, and people will lean in and pay more attention. And I think perhaps God is using the same principle with us. He wants us to pay attention, to recognize who he is in the splendor and glory of all of his grace and righteousness and holiness, and realize that he does care. And not only does he care, and not only does he want to hear from us, but he also wants us to hear from him as we engage in that, that dialogue or that conversation, uh, as you call it in the title of the book, Samuel, so that in and through that, uh, we can not only recognize his voice, but also walk in a deeper level of fellowship and pure relationship with Tim that perhaps a lot of us have never never taken it to that level, never really experienced. I agree with you completely. I, I, you know, Christianity is about relationship. And, and relationship, the heart and soul relationship is really the normal life. It's, it's not, the spectacular is great. You know, don't, don't deny me any of the spectacular. But the heart and soul of a relationship is just the normal, everyday, faithful talking and being together. And, and really, that's what makes life rich. And I think that's what God is inviting us into. I, I believe God wants us to hear his voice every day, almost every day. There's, there's times where he might be silent because he can't tell us something. But I, I really believe that God has something for us and that, as, as you're talking about, he wants, uh, he wants us to be able to enter into the Holy of Holies because the the temple curtain was torn That's right. so that we can enter back into a relationship with him that, that was lost in the Garden of Eden. 
And, you know, we can probably talk to a lot of wives out there who would say their husbands never learn to listen, and perhaps <laughs> vice versa. Uh, God, I think. Please don't call my wife. <laughs> She's online too, you say? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think, though, that, that, that we can also uh, learn a lot from that. That, that God perhaps would observe that we've never learned to listen to him. We talk a lot about wanting to hear from God, but do we really want to hear from God? Do we want to not only be vulnerable at that level, but take the time to walk in the fellowship and to have the kind of, of intimacy with God that he really wants not only of us, but for us? It's a compelling read and can be a life-changing one for you. Hearing God in Conversation, How to Recognize His Voice Everywhere. Newly published by Kriegel Publishers, you'll find it available available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through the usual suspects, Amazon.com, and at Samuel's website, beliefsoftheheart.com. That's beliefsoftheheart.com. And our thanks to Samuel Williamson for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.